Stacy is back with a vengeance this week to bring you all the things that the regular radio, television, and podcast hosts won't. Welcome to Fringe with Benefits, episode 77. So you know your crazy uncle who everyone in the family thinks is a kook? That's me. I'm that iffy uncle. I'm the tinfoil hat wearer. I'm the freak show that believes there are reptile people walking around in meat skin suits. I am the chick that will talk to you about the stuff everyone else just brushes off or mocks as nonsensical. Back again for another round of Strange, I come to you to scramble your brain on all things anomalous, peculiar, weird, and abnormal. Here we are for Stacy's socials. Man, things have been wild. Okay, first thing I've got is from Emerald Robinson. Now, I'm sure this topic's getting really tired, but it's it's important. And so all you listeners out there, if you got a problem with me talking about this, maybe this show isn't for you. The first thing is this post or a substack from Emerald Robinson. And I'm pretty much going to just read it word for word because she's got a lot of good information in here that... Is something we need to all be looking at and not ignoring. A lot of people are ignoring it. So it's titled, The Global Vaccine Nightmare Has Just Begun. What happens when 3 billion vaccinated people have undiagnosed myocarditis? She says, I went to the nail salon this week and there was a young woman working there who started weeping inconsolably in a corner. I asked the manager what was wrong. She just lost her mother was the reply. She had died in her sleep suddenly, though she was perfectly healthy. This last weekend, I had attended the funeral of an old friend. He was perfectly healthy too, and then he got late-stage pancreatic cancer, and he was gone a few months later. That was the exact same story for another friend. He was as healthy as a horse until he wasn't, because he too had suddenly developed late-stage pancreatic cancer. Not to mention a young and very fit mother I know who just got a checkup and was told that she too has suddenly developed aggressive cancer in her early 40s. The perfectly healthy are getting bad cancers much too frequent now. The perfectly healthy are dying suddenly. What all of them shared was being jabbed, the Jabberwocky. Steve Kirsch on Substack has conducted a survey done by a third party and the results are so disturbing that nobody in the corporate media will touch it. 10 million Americans have heart injuries. 10 million Americans had to be hospitalized after taking this. 5 million Americans can't work after taking this. And at least 600,000 Americans died after taking this. The executive summary of the latest poll is devastating. One, a 6.6% rate of heart injury. That's over 10 million Americans. Two, 2.7% are unable to work That's over 5 million Americans. Three, 6.3% had to be hospitalized. That's over 10 million Americans. And four, you were more likely to die from COVID if you'd taken the vaccine. And five, almost as many, 77.4% households lost someone from the vaccine as from COVID. If you believe that 1 1 million people in the U.S. have died from COVID, then this survey indicates that 750,000 people died from the vaccine. Then that's with a 95% confidence of at least 600,000 deaths. More than 5 billion people have been injected with at least one dose of this thing. 
If we extrapolate a 6% heart injury hospitalization rate from the survey, that would mean 300 million people have been affected. And if Dr. Malone is correct and a majority of vaccinated people have undiagnosed myocarditis, that would mean 3 billion people are at serious risk of sudden cardiac death. You can't imagine it, and I can't imagine it, but if that really happens to even a tenth of 3 billion people in the, the next few years, then we are talking about a world-altering event. And that's what these people are telling us and warning us of. So it goes on to say that healthy people are now dying so frequently and suddenly from heart failure that can totally corrupt corporate media has in, that the totally corrupt corporate media has invented names like sudden adult death syndrome to account for these obvious vaccine related deaths. Suddenly toddlers are now having seizures after getting vaccinated. As for vaccinated women who are pregnant, they are experiencing miscarriages and stillbirths at a much at much higher rates than in the past. There was a, an audio recording on Instagram earlier this week, and I shared it all over the place, but it, it has since been taken down. And it's a father who called a vaccine site in which where his, his wife had taken their seven-year-old son to get vaccinated. And he's asking the woman, did you tell them that there's a, there's a chance that he could develop myocarditis because my son is now in the hospital with myocarditis? And the mortality rate, I think it's like 20%. There's a 20% chance that he could die from having this condition. And this condition is going to affect that kid for the rest of his life. So I don't know about you, but if that were, you know, if I were that mom and I went in there unknowing um, and then had to answer to my husband, who obviously didn't want him to get it and knew of the risks, and that, you know, I didn't at least pry to get more information or... Um, not given the information and foolishly give that to my kid. And now he's at risk of dying and having a heart condition for the rest of his life. So anyways, the dad starts screaming at this pharmacist, like, what have you done? What have you done? It's, it's a really emotional audio clip. If you have an opportunity to listen to it, you might want to try to go find it. I do not have a link for it because the link that I did have disappeared, but I'm sure you can find it. Um, the next thing is something that's just staggering. This is the whole um, gender affirmation thing that I have a real problem with. So according to the Gender Mapping Project, there are now over 200 gender bending clinics that help children have modifications to their body done. And that's in America. So just a decade ago, there were only a 10, around 10 of these clinics in America. This is what this article is calling a predatory industry, and I believe so. I think this is a way to make money and to um, drop population rates, sterilize half of our youth, and, and could be a main contributor to suicide for people coming up here real soon. So in London, something went down. This is a move that this article says is going to tra shake trans activism to its core. The National Health Service just shut down one of the most aggressive gender-bending youth clinics in the world, and all gender mutilations of children must seize operations by 2023 there. Nearly two decades, the prestigious Tavistock Center in London, in England, accepted youth mental health patients who struggled with gender dysphoria. 15 years ago, the center specialized in therapy that was listening to patients, talking through their problems. Drugs were always a last resort. However, 
Over the last few years, the clinic had began taking hasty, one-size-fits-all approach to dealing with gender dysphoria, pushing puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones on youth and parents, while encouraging identity delusions and total mutilation of the child's genitalia. At its peak in 2019, the clinic was getting 3,000 referrals a year to further confuse and castrate all youth that walked through the doors. Now, a lot of this is straight-up quote from this brilliant journalist. So, puberty blockers. These are medically described as gonadotropin-releasing hormone agonists. These drugs suppress the further development of secondary sex characteristics like breast tissues in females or facial hair in males. Cross-sex hormones refer to the use of testosterone in females who want to pretend they were born male and estrogen for males who want to pretend they were born female. A brave nurse has stepped forward. Her name is Sue Evans. She blew the whistle on this back in 2005. And over time, whistleblowers, doctors, nurses, journalists, reporters, parents, and patients were able to expose the clinic for pushing this trans activism. Then this is not evidence-based medicine. In fact, the, the evidence points in another direction that, that we're actually harming these kids. She is a senior clinical lecturer. She created and delivered psychotherapy training courses for staff, and she ultimately went on to serve in the Gender Identity Development Service, where she and a team of seven clinicians oversaw approximately 100 cases a year, mostly boys who believe they were born in the wrong body. She reports that her colleagues were quick to prescribe puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones without getting a basic understanding of the child's internal world. She said, quote, I knew from my experience in working with adolescents that any diagnostic assessment arrived at after such a short time span would have been superficial, end quote. She also said that the senior, senior clinicians would regularly meet with the transgender patient advocacy group called Mermaids. Quote, as time progressed, it seemed clear that groups like Mermaids were exerting influence over doctors and clinicians in the service, sometimes dictating the expectations of care for our patients. End quote. The clinic started adopting policies that force clinicians to use gender pronouns, like they, they're doing that here, you know, what the patients preferred. And Sue remembers being threatened with litigation if she did not do it. She said, as a mental health care professional, it didn't matter whether she had a legitimate question. It didn't matter whether she questioned the appropriateness of the treatment that the patients were demanding. She had to give in to their mental illness and go along with their desires or gender delusion, hormonal castration, and genital toll mutilation. Clinicians were no longer allowed to think of gender dysphoria as a mental illness, which it's always been until recently. She contends that services for youth should be more holistic, taking into consideration the whole child and adopt better clinical standards, not activism aimed at destroying their physiology and anatomy. Today, trans activists and predatory ilk go into online chat groups and prey on youth and encourage them to denounce their upbringing, their family, and the reality of who they truly are. These trans activists prey on youth, their feelings, curiosities, insecurities, sexual desires, so they will give in to experimental thoughts, pornographic addictions, pornography addictions, and gender transitions, and genital mutilation. These predatory acts are done to coerce youth to accept a fictitious new identity, to tear them away from their family, their faith, and their true identity. I have had personal experience in this. I was pushed into a corner and I was coerced um, to do something that I, I didn't do. I held my ground and I protected my kid. But they were pushing medicines 
that they're not, well, they're not, you can't even call them medicines, medications to, that would harm my child. These medications not only can cause cancer, it can cause um, degradation of the uterine um, lining. It can cause, there's a risk that they will never ever be able to experience an orgasm if they, they take certain hormones. And there's a lot of evidence backing this up. There's a lot of research that says that this does more harm than good. And, you know, they, they use like a form of extortion. Extortion. They tell you that your kid is going to kill themselves unless you affirm their gender. And that's a bunch of bullshit. Next, we're going to pop on back over to the vaccine issue. Cold showers are now being blamed for heart attacks They're actu- that are actually caused by these COVID vaccines and the deadly clots. India Times is reporting that cold showers can suddenly kill you with heart trouble. Meanwhile, Germany is telling people to take more cold showers due to the collapse of energy supplies from Russia. The Guardian now reports, quote, German cities impose cold showers and turn off lights and amid the Russian gas crises, end quote. So the very same cold showers that the Times of India says might kill you you're being prescri- are being prescribed by the government of Germany. To add to the lunacy, Wales Online is reporting that sudden heart attacks and death can also be caused by opening utility bills and seeing higher energy prices that you owe the power company. Are you kidding me? And then these high energy prices, they want to turn around and blame on Russia. So if you conserve energy and take cold showers because Putin cut off the gas, then you might die from the cold showers. But if you pay for the energy to take hot showers, then you might die from opening your electric bill. That which is also blamed on Putin. So it's not just heart attacks and strokes, though. Wales Online also claims there could be an increase in chest infections, mental health problems, and ill health in children due to opening energy bills. And then just this weekend, fake President Biden was said to have contracted a second round of COVID, even though he's been vaccinated and boosted multiple times with the same concoction he publicly stated would prevent anyone from contracting it in the first place. And if these vaccines can't even protect the so-called president, how can they be mandated for anyone else? TheSun.com is claiming airline flight delays can give you a sudden heart attack, and the Toronto Sun adds that you might die from daylight savings time changes. Do you really think people are this fucking stupid? The best examples of all is new scientists claiming that space weather kills 5,500 Americans a year from solar storms. According to new scientists, disruptions in the Earth's magnetic field caused by the sun are now killing people, but somehow 5G towers are perfectly safe. So they they throw down a fact that polio in India is caused by polio vaccines and no informed person is surprised. They have to keep the polio going after all to keep justifying the depopulation death shots. It's not a small handful of people that feel this way, people. If you're listening to this, then you are probably feeling the same way new york post this is interesting and i tell you i bring weird news and this is weird to me it's very coincidental grain exporter oleksii vatertursky 74 and his wife reza died after a missile slammed into their home in the southern city of michaelov saturday night so it was probably last week sometime i don't the week before last He owned a Ukrainian agricultural company called Nibulon, and it was considered one of the war-torn nation's most successful business figures. He got bombed. 
I guess this town, Mykolov, lies on the route to a critical port of Odessa, has undergone fierce Russian shelling since the country launched its invasion in February. An advisor to the Ukrainian president asserted that he was targeted by Russian forces. We're talking about Yadotursky. He was targeted by Russian forces and the missile landed in his bedroom. He was the, one of the major players in Ukraine's grain exporting in- industry, and he has been crippled by this conflict. Now he's dead. Ukraine is accusing Russian forces of commandeering grain supplies and selling them to claim. This is a claim that Russia denies. And then meanwhile, a bomb carried by a drone exploded in the headquarters of Russia's Black Sea Fleet on the Crimean Peninsula, wounding six people. That area was captured by Russian forces in 2014, so it's theirs now. And the Black Sea Fleet said in a statement that the explosive appeared to be homemade, indicating the attack was carried out by Ukrainian insurgents. Interesting, right? So one of the bigwigs, a grain exporter, was bombed in his bedroom, killed. Washington, this is on my home front. This isn't far from me, a couple hours. Port Townsend, 80-year-old woman was permanently banned from her local YMCA after, after she demanded a transgender employee leave the women's locker room. She said, I saw a man in a woman's bathing suit watching maybe four or five little girls pulling down their swimsuits in order to use the toilet. Julie Jamon Jamon, recalled this incident in July to a Seattle radio show host, Dory Monson. She said that she asked if he had a penis, and he said it was none of my business, and I told that man to get out right now. This incident occurred July 26th at the Mountain View Pool in the city of Port Townsend, and this is at the top of the Olympic Peninsula. She said she was alerted to the trans employee being in the women's locker room when she was showering because she heard a man's voice. She told the radio host that she alerted a pool staffer to the incident and was stunned when the staff member told her that she was being discriminatory and was banned from the pool forever. The staffer also said that the police would be called. Quote, she didn't ask me what the problem was. If I was okay, nothing about me. It's as if she was just waiting to pounce on me. It was just stunning. Incident report details that Jammin had an emotional response to the strange male being in the bathroom near young girls and hoping not to be trespassed from the pool. The officer talked to her over the phone, and the report also noted that a phone call from the YMCA detailing that she was reportedly in the facility's locker room screaming at an employee and refusing to leave. Aaron Hawkins, the marketing and communications manager for the Olympic Peninsula YMCA, told Fox News that the permanent pool ban followed a buildup of incidents where this woman violated the facility's code of conduct. So she was a pest, maybe. And she said the permanent suspension was not solely due to the singular incident. She said, quote, Julie Jaman was permanently suspended from the Mountain View pool due to her repeatedly violating our code of conduct, specifically using disrespectful words or gestures towards YMCA staff or others, abusive harassing and or obscene language or gestures towards YMCA staff or others. Jammin told local media she had been a member of this pool facility for 35 years and has lived in Port Townsend for about 40 years. She said she voted for Democrats her entire life and considers herself an XX woman, referring to her chromosomes. She added that um, she recoiled at being naked and showering in a room with a person born male, and she added that the mama bear in me came out when she saw the individual near the young girls. 
She also added that she spoke with the CEO of the Olympic Peninsula YMCA, Wendy Bart, and she told Bart that there should be warnings in the bathrooms, um, that they're also being used by trans gender individuals and um jamon told monson i told her there were no signs posted to give women warning there were pride posters posted all over and she assumed that it was adequate to inform women what to expect we take pride and everyone is welcome according to her description of the conversation and she said that's fine with me except that they do not provide alternatives for women who choose not to be undressing in front of men our pool is a very old pool. We have two shower rooms, dressing rooms, one for men and one for women. She since has held a protest outside the pool facility and was joined by supporters, but then there's also counter-protests. I tell you what, I don't care if you identify as a woman. If you've got a dick and you're watching little girls pull down their swimsuits to use the toilet, you're going to get your ass kicked right out of there if, if I see that shit. There's a lot of sickos out there that are going to be taking advantage of this. They're just claimed to be a woman just so they can have access to the restrooms and the locker rooms. And if you think that this isn't happening, check back on one of my other podcasts because it's happening. Fucking makes me sick and pisses me off. This motherfucker getting his jollies off of these little girls. When they're supposed to have, you know, where's the women's safe space, huh? Next is a Helen Rhodes was on her way home to the UK with her husband, Simon, and their two children, Nathan and Emma. This is on August 5th. They spent more than 15 years in Tung Chang in Hong Kong. Rhodes was found unresponsive in a, a few hours into the flight and could not be resuscitated. She died in her sleep on the plane with her family. Mother, who was a midwife by profession, was in her seat for the remaining eight hours of the flight until the plane landed in Frankfurt. And then her body had to remain in Germany while her family proceeded to the UK without her. They're all extremely traumatized. I mean, could you imagine flying with your family member and they just die? So her friend described what happened. On August 5th, 2022, Helen passed away in her sleep on a flight from Hong Kong to the UK. Helen was found unresponsive a few hours into the flight. Despite all efforts, Helen was not able to be resuscitated. This all unfolded in front of her children. And for the remaining eight hours of the flight, Helen lay in a breathless sleep in her seat. Although this was extremely traumatizing to the family, they all had time to say what they needed to say to her. Needless to mention, they are devastated. This loss is unimaginable. Helen was a devoted wife and mother. She was the glue that held her family together. After landing in Germany and the protocol that followed, Helen remained in Frankfurt while her husband, Simon, and their two young children, Nathan and Emma, had to go on to the UK without her. It's terribly sad. How does a healthy woman just die? Just like that. My next article, we already kind of went through this in a previous article, but, you know, the Bi Biden... He's tested positive for COVID-19 again and again and again. And so has Fauci and so has Trudeau and so has every other motherfucker who claims that these vaccines are good for us. And that took, took our privileges away and our rights away because we wouldn't get them. I, you know, the people that I know that got it, they've had COVID several times, more times than, than I have. And I'm, I'm one of what happened to the, um, <laughs> the season of or the pandemic of the unvaccinated remember that 
Next is uh, U.S. Senator Roger Marshall was asking questions during a U.S. Senate hearing on the federal government's involvement with gain-of-function research in China. Senator Marshall's opening statement and questions centered on Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, and his efforts to push gain-of-function research out of the U.S. and into China through EcoHealth Alliance. Not only is it in China, it's in Ukraine, and it's it's in Taiwan. Maybe check out how many biomedical research facilities or bioweapon labs are in Taiwan and Ukraine. It's not a lie, people. It's fucking happening. And Fauci lied to Congress. It's obvious. It's blatant. Why isn't he in jail for perjury? And why isn't he in jail for crimes against humanity and, and killing people? Like, that's a mass murderer in my eyes. He recently was at a Mariners game, and there were a lot of boos. I expected more boos, but, you know, it being Seattle, there's still some dipshits that think he's cool out there. Next is more of a lighthearted story. But still, it just really shows... Um, the intelligence of people. And I'm wondering if this came from a 4chan thing, you know, kind of like that free bleeding thing. Everybody was like, ooh, it's the new thing. Just don't wear any menstrual products and just bleed everywhere you go. No, this is called vabbing. TikToker, TikTok users are wearing their vaginal secretions as a do-it-yourself perfume after hearing the trick can boost sexual attraction. The trend is called vabbing. And Mandy Lee... Thanks, Mandy Lee, is now shared, she, dele she deleted it, but she shared a video endorsing the practice. It gained more than 1 million views, and comments from longtime Vabbing fans suggested it for date nights and job interviews. Can you imagine using your juices to um, dab all over yourself in, in hopes that it will attract a positive re response from people around you? I guess in August 2019, Refinery29, which is a rag, by the way, published an expert from sexologist Sand Budram's book, The Game of Desire, where she recommended vabbing and shared her personal experience, said she's done it for 15 years. She later talked about the technique, uh, uh, technique on a late night show, A Little Late with Silly Lily Singh, and a podcast, Talking It Out with Mike and Brian. Never heard of either one of them. Since then, perfumes that promise to boost a person's pheromones, chemical signals common to a particular species have hit the market, but there's no scientific evidence that vabbing or pheromone-powered scents work for humans. Tristan Wyatt, an evolutionary biologist who studies animal scents and pheromones, studies pinpointing other mammals' pheromones suggests it's highly likely humans emit pheromones too, but researchers have not found any evidence of this. And he says, Wyatt says it's because of limited research because pheromones have no particular medical use. I am sure that there has been research on this. Maybe it's not mainstream, but I'm sure that they have tried to research human pheromones. I guess when it comes to mammals, finding their pheromones and their uses is difficult because they release more varied smells than other animals. And since humans smell different pre- and post-puberty, that could signal the existence of a sex-related pheromone. But he says the research doesn't exist, which keeps it still a mystery. He says he doesn't see an issue with vabbing. He says it's possible the practice has a placebo effect. Since someone is taking the time to wear their vaginal juices, that novel act could stick in their head as they move about the world and convince them to act in ways that potential partners could find attractive. 
He says, I can't see it doing any harm, and if it gives you some confidence, then why not? The other thing is, in our current state of knowledge, we simply don't know. What do you think about that? I think it's kind of gross. Okay, conjoined twins. Weird news, right? Conjoined twins are just always really weird to me because everything about it is crazy. These twins, Bernardo and Arthur Lima, they're almost four. They've never seen each other's face because they are attached at the top of their heads. They face opposite directions. They are called craniopagus twins. They're joined at the cranium, and their brains are also fused together, making their separation extremely complex. Can they read each other's thoughts? Like, are they thinking each other's thoughts? Do they know that the other is there? Can they speak to each other through their brain? I have all these questions. The surgeon is a founder of a medical charity, Gemini Untwined, which funded the surgery. And he helped lead a team of nearly 100 workers who worked for months to prepare these boys for separation. The most complicated ever. He said it was the first time surgeons in separate countries practiced by operating in the same virtual reality room together wearing VR headsets, which is super cool. There were prior attempts to separate the twins. They were unsuccessful, making the surgery even more challenging because they're scar tissue. After multiple surgeries that took more than 33 hours collectively, the boys were successfully separated in June. Neurosurgeon Gabrielle Mufare of the Paulo Niemeyer State Brain Institute said, it was without a doubt the most complex surgery of my career. At the beginning, nobody thought they would survive. It's already historic that both of them can be saved. The boys' heart rates and blood pressures were through the roof for four days after the surgery until they were reunited and touched hands. Aww. They need each other. You cannot separate them. They are the oldest twins with fused brains to be successfully separated, and they will spend the next six months in rehabilitation. They are in my prayers. I hope they're going to be okay. Um, next article is another weird one that it, it kind of seems to me like the news is trying to convince us of something. Get this. A 49-year-old architect, architect in Chicago. He runs marathons, works out, never gets sick. He suddenly started feeling crappy. This is the summer of 2021. Interesting, right? He thought it was just a cold. But over the next few months, things got worse. He said he was increasingly tired. He found that he couldn't run anymore. He said he felt like he was 75 years old at the end of the day. And that's when he went to an urgent care clinic and the doctors gave him cold medicine. He thought he had COVID. And one morning he woke up with his, an excruciating headache, worse than he ever had in his life. It took several days for the headache to come down to a manageable level. He kept working, going about his life, hoping the pain would go away. And then his annual physical was coming up, so he was going to bring up the symptoms. Doctor tested his blood and it led to Keller had endocarditis, an infected heart valve from Streptococcus mutants, a bacteria that lives in the mouth and causes tooth decay. So the title to this, mouth bacteria causes aneurysm. Okay. You ever heard of that in your life? So the overall is incidence of infective endocarditis with the general population is low, 15 cases per 100,000. Karen Kruger, an infectious disease specialist in Northwestern Medicine, where he was treated, says that bacteria from the mouth or other parts of the body often enter the bloodstream, which is typically harmless. However, in certain instances, the bacteria can overwhelm the body's immune response or stick to certain sites like heart valves leading to infection. Anyone can develop a heart valve 
infection, but it's more likely in patients with a predisposing condition, such as a structural or valvular heart disease. Well, get this. He was born with a bicuspid aortic valve. This is a congenital heart defect. That means his aortic valve, which regulates blood flow, has only two flaps instead of three. So he knew he had this heart abnormality, but it never affected him until this. He didn't even have a tooth cavity or recent dental work. But the germs were still able to reach his heart. He said, um, Kruger said, in this case, the bacteria properly, probably entered the bloodstream from eating or routine dental hygiene and was able to develop an infection on his bicuspid abnormal heart valve. From there, it spread to other parts of his body. The heart valve infection was just the start. Okay. I guess when blood is flowing past an infected piece of emergent, uh, uh, machinery, it, this infection will fly off and just travel through the bloodstream. And guess what? It, it traveled to his brain. He had infected brain arteries next. And infected brain arteries can't maintain their integrity and they form a mycotic brain aneurysm. This is a dangerous bulge in the artery triggered by an infection. An aneurysm can rupture and bleed into the brain, causing stroke, brain damage, coma, and death. He says, Keller, the guy, says, it's crazy. I'm just like, how am I alive if I have an aneurysm? Well, it's rare, rare. An infected brain aneurysm is very uncommon. And having it being related to a heart infection is even more uncommon. Very weird. So both issues had to be fixed. So they basically, they, what they did was they operated on his aneurysm first. Of course, they tried antibiotics first, but it didn't work. They had to open his skull and do a brain bypass. So they took blood vessels attached to the bulge and rerouted them by attaching them to a nearby normal brain artery. They rewired or redid the plumbing of his brain, basically. So he came out of an eight-hour brain surgery alive, and then two months later, later, he had to go back in for his heart valve. So now he's feeling good, but he's urging others to listen to their bodies and not push through or ignore pain and to be cognizant of your health and feel more comfortable going to the doctor for basic blood and urine tests that can uncover deeper problems. You tell me how the fuck that happens. Oh, it's super rare, but all these rare really rare things are happening more often nowadays. And th that's the weird stories of the week. This week's accountability segment is brought to you by Stacy. I don't have any advertisement. I used to put some anchor advertisements in here, but you know what? Not anymore. Not anymore. Just not going to do it. I don't really know what to say this week's accountability segment. I'm sorry. I have not had an interview in the last couple of weeks. I might have one attached to this episode. We, I might not. I have a couple scheduled and I felt I needed to at least get the episode out as soon as possible, even though I don't have any interviews. So we'll see. We'll see what happens because you know what? Consistency is key. That's the most important part. And I've been pretty consistent about getting them out every couple of weeks unless something happens. But, you know, I don't like the idea of faltering or stepping back from that because I think that's not a good thing. And life has been relatively good over here, even though I'm in one of the most challenging times of my life thus far. And that says a lot. That says a lot about, you know, <laughs> about right now. But no, I'm happy. I'm freaking full of joy. And I suck at posting on social media. I do not have a lot of marketing skills and I really could put more of an effort into 
at all, but honestly, I'd rather hire someone to do it for me. Grace Harbor Ghost Hunters is adding a lot of people to the group. So if you want to join the Facebook group, follow them. Um, go to graceharborghosthunters.com. And we have plans to do a couple of discreet meetings as well as have an open to the public meeting where everyone can come and share their experiences and play some games and talk ghosts. We went on a ghost tour in Tacoma. It was there. It was basically a tour around Old Town Tacoma, and it gave a brief history about the Andalana, which was a ship that disappeared in the Sound. And with all the drama and haunting tales surrounding this cursed ship, it was a really great time. I may read to you a story about that for the next week's, um, maybe stick it into the mailbag, because it's really fantastic, and it's a horrifying mystery, and I really need to share that with all of you. Anyone who has an opportunity to follow or attend the Pretty Gritty Tours in the Seattle-Tacoma area, you should absolutely do it. Now on to business. Follow me on all the socials. Even though I don't post anything, you can follow me and you can talk to me there. There's a Telegram link below. I am on Patreon. Literally, it's been months since I put anything on there. Man, I really need to step up my game. Go see InwardSurvival.com. I may hire a webmaster to put content on there for me, inwardsurvival.com, and then Twitter, at Stacy Fringe, that needs some love, needs some followers. I do have a code for Forbidden Clothes, so if you want to buy some t-shirts or some hats that just say fuck you to the system, go ahead and follow that link, that's below, they've got a lot of cool stuff. And I think that's all I got, just yeah, follow me on all the socials, and I'm pretty much on everything. I'm gonna try to put all the links in the description box below but sometimes the character limit goes over and then I can't put the links in so I don't know maybe I'll put together a link tree or something it's really not that important I'm just glad that you're listening so that's all for that we have a mailbag I'm looking for your stories, your paranormal experiences, your ghost stories, your just uh, like off the wall strange stories about any kind of strange encounters you've had. We talk about the fringe here. So if you got anything weird, send it to me at fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. This week I've got an update from that Reddit thread I talked about last week about the the weird crawler that's in that guy's yard and it's kind of like um, trying to lure the the females out of the house with baby cries and little kid cries doing mimics hitting the walls outside of the house. Go back to episode 76 if you haven't heard it and listen to the mailbag last week. So here's the update. This is update number two. I gave you update number one last week. This was June 24th, 2022. He says, weird things keep happening. Today, my three-year-old son is playing in the back patio a few feet away from us, and all of a sudden, the dogs inside jump and start barking as one of our four dogs, Duke, that's on the patio with him, comes bolting into the door. I jump up and see what's going on, and my son is pointing at the tree line, saying, Werewolf, Daddy, werewolf. Now, my son loves watching videos of werewolves for toddlers for some reason. I didn't know there were werewolves for toddlers. Oh, okay. He just loves werewolves. Well, so do I, kiddo, so do I. He goes on to say, I would normally put this off as nothing, but you saw, if you saw the look in his face, you would know that he was serious. Plus, with the way my dogs reacted, he had to have seen something. I pulled out my phone and began recording. He kept saying, Daddy, look, werewolf in the bushes. I tell him I can't see anything, but I could hear something really big in the leaves. I will post the recording of the ordeal to see if any of you can see anything that might have, I might have missed. 
and then the update three july 9th 2022 this is the latest one um he says okay i meant to keep everyone updated until now i've just had a lot on my plate my niece has quit she said she can't handle all the stuff that's been happening to her everything was fine for a while we kept indoors for the most part we went out on the porch one night with a flashlight and camera hoping to catch something we keep hearing things in the brush which could be anything after a while of not seeing anything we went back inside I said my prayers and then slept like a baby. My niece, however, did not. She woke up late the next day and seemed a bit jumpy. So I asked her what's wrong, and she said that she didn't sleep well as something was outside her window. It took a bit of prodding to get her to talk about it. She said she could hear something big outside her window, but every time she looked, she couldn't see anything. She said she heard weird noises that she couldn't describe. She came out in the living room to see if I was still up, but I was fast asleep. She decided to go back to her room and go to sleep watching YouTube on her phone. Sounds like me. She said she was almost asleep when she felt something standing right behind her. She turned around and there was nothing. She said she kept having a feeling but brushed it off as her imagination. That was until about 3 a.m. when she woke up. She said she had her phone in the window seal playing a video. She had the same feeling as before, but this time it was very intense. Like whatever it was wanted to devour her. She turned around quickly and saw what looked like a shadow disappear into the wall in the blink of an eye. She told me this kept happening until she passed out late this morning. I told her it was weird as we've never experienced anything like that in the house before. We have had weird things happen like things disappear for a while and then reappear days or months later in the exact spot they were. She said it felt like whatever this was made her feel like it wanted to hurt her. I told her to keep me updated and let me know if anything else happens. A few days later, she asks if she could use the hot tub that's out back. I explain it's off as we can't afford to heat it. When we get over to it, I open to look inside. To my disbelief, not only is it on, but the water looks great, minus a little cleanup that needed to be done. As I'm walking around, all of a sudden, I hear this really loud thump behind me, like a log falling onto the ground, or a really big boulder hitting the ground. Imagine an engine block falling 20 feet onto soft, so soft soil. It made me jump. I turned around, but I couldn't see in anything as the brush was too thick. I kept keep helping her work on the spa, but then she says she's going to go inside and get changed so she can get in. I look around and realize that it's getting dark outside, and I really don't want to be out here. I bend over to work on getting the filter cleaned out, and I hear what sounds like something big snap, like something big snapping branches and charging at me. It made me jump and then run to the back door. I turned around to see what it was and nothing. I walk back into the house and walk upstairs. I tell her I heard something out there and she looked at me for a minute, then said, well, I want to get in and relax. She asks if I can leave the back patio door open so if she needs me, she can call. But according to her, she enjoyed the spa without incident. Every day I notice her getting more anxious and less willing to talk about it. She says every night something new happens to her, but when I ask her to elaborate, she refuses. A few nights later, I walk out on the porch and notice it's dead quiet again. I ask her to come out onto the porch with me, but she says she's tired and wants to call her boyfriend and go to bed. My wife gets up early and takes care of the kids, so it's my job to handle night shift. So she's in bed at this point. I decide I don't have the guts to do this alone, so I put on a movie and relax in my recliner. I end up falling asleep and wake up at 3 a.m. to a noise coming from my niece's room. It sounds like a deep voice, and I knock on the door. I call out several times, but get nothing in response. I figure it must be her video and decide to let it be. I head to bed, and just as I start to pass out, another loud bang happens. I wake up and hear what sounds like something skittering on a wall outside of my bedroom. I un understand 
that this is way up in the air and physically impossible. I look out the window, but don't see anything. After going out and checking on this bang multiple times over the last year and seeing nothing, I decided to forget it and go back to sleep. Next day, my niece comes out and tells me she's had that shadow thing happen again, except this time she left her light on. She said she woke up getting that feeling again. She said when she opens her eyes, she could see an extremely tall, shadowy figure standing over the top of her. She said it was moving closer to her, and just as she started to see the details of its face, she turned around in a panic, but nothing was there. She said the eyes haunted her, but didn't want to elaborate any further. The next morning, for the first time ever, my niece is up bright and early. I noticed she looked anxious as she told me she's headed home for the 4th of July weekend and will be back on Tuesday. I ask her if she is okay, and she says yes and quickly walks out the door. Later that day, I get a call from my sister telling me that she won't be coming back. I ask her if everything is all right, and she says yes, that she just wants to enjoy the rest of her summer. A little while later, I get a call from my niece telling me that she doesn't want to work any anymore as she can't handle the anxiety from whatever is out there. She doesn't elaborate more than that, but whatever's been going on in her room has her petrified. I checked on her room and noticed that she's been sleeping with one of the windows wide open. This window is perfectly accessible from the outside. I don't know what's going on with her, but whatever it looks like could have been coming in the room. Fast forward to the 4th of July. I do fireworks out in front of our property by the road facing the woods. Due to what's been happening at night, I decided to do them prior to it getting dark outside. We do our fireworks, and just as it's starting to get dark, I get everyone inside. After a couple of hours, I remember that my hose is still on the ground and laying out by the road. I head out to clean everything up and put the hose away. While I'm doing this, I notice it's dead silent again, minus the distant sound of fireworks in the distance. My hair on the back of my neck go up, and I get the feeling that I'm being watched again. I hurry and coil the hose and ran back into the house. I swear I'm starting to wonder if it's just my mind playing tricks on me this at this point. These people have been terrorized in their home, and I don't know what the hell is going on. It sounds like they've got some sort of supernatural creature, dogman kind of thing going on. And dogman was always the thing that, you know, I just couldn't get myself to believe in because biologically it just didn't make any sense. But the more encounters that I've heard people tell or read, I'm starting to think otherwise, that maybe there is some sort of multidimensional creature out there that is able to, I don't know, move between parallel dimensions or densities and has, um, has some features about itself that just don't occur in the natural world. I'm going to go ahead and look at this post again because I've just been checking on it every few days to see if there's any new updates and just see if there's anything new from the last time. And he has not updated since this last post. And it's been a long time since he said anything. And I did reach out, I don't know, about a week ago to see... Um, hey, is anything going on? And I haven't had a response. I'm going to do it again while we're here recording. Anything else happening? Update us again. Okay, so that's it. That's all I got for the mailbag. Uh, send me your mail if you've got anything crazy. I haven't heard anything for a while from any of the people that were sending me mail. I do have a little bit of stuff that was sent over to me by Julia, one of our favorite listeners. She's always got something crazy to share. She'll send me some links here and there, and I usually just throw that into Stacy's socials because it's kind of part of Stacy's socials. But yeah, 
send me your mail, fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. Inward Survival School of Magic is where we kind of take all the negative and we just stick it in our back pocket and talk about how sunny and happy and wonderful everything is. Actually, not really. It's a time to process and to kind of turn things around and refocus and reflect. This week, we're going to talk about Machiavellianism and Machiavelli tactics. You know, you hear all the time, oh, that's Machiavelli, Machiavellian. Um, I've used that word a lot. And this guy from the quintessential mind talks about how maybe that's a little bit misunderstood. So he is very uh, politically affiliated or a very political philosopher and 48 Laws of Power. I don't know if you've read that, read that book. It's a great book, like almost essential to learn about human nature. 48 Laws of Power is pretty much based on The Prince, which is a writing of Machiavelli. So let's get into that. When somebody mentions the name Machiavelli or the terms Machiavellian or Machiavellianism, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, most people would think words like dark triad, duplicity, manipulation, in a broader context, the ability to gain power through deception, insincerity, and abuse of power. But those are all wrong, this author says that they do play a role in the way that he has expressed his political theories, but they all fail to paint an accurate picture of this man. If there's a word that can accurately describe Machiavelli and his ideas, it would be pragmatism. Now, if you don't know what pragmatism is, to define pragmatism or being pragmatic, it would be a practical approach to problems and affairs. Machiavelli could be described as pragmatic. He was probably the first political theorist that escaped the delusion of idealism and honestly proposed pragmatic solutions and interpretations of government. His views were dramatically influenced by the time he lived in and his personal experiences, like all of us, and sometimes he exceeded the threshold of political correctness or blurring the lines between morally right and morally wrong. Nonetheless, they constitute a powerful compendium of knowledge that is shaping the interpretation of power and influence until this day. First, he wants to clarify something, that the term Machiavellianism was coined by psychologist Christy and Geis in the 1970s as an attempt to explain the manifestation of power motive by exploiting and manipulating others in a deceitful and unscrupulous fashion. So the term is strictly used in a behavioral context. Psychologists did that in a very irresponsible fashion, he thinks, and as he says, we'll see in a bit that Machiavelli was a very pragmatic and strategic philosopher, and his views were influenced by the status quo of the time and illuminate his ability to offer exhaustive sentiments regarding political theory. I agree with this guy when he says that he believes that limiting a man of his magnitude to terms like duplicity and manipulation is unfair, to say the least. So he, he, in this article, he narrows his analysis to the lessons extrapolated by his Machiavelli's works in an effort to draw an accurate picture. So let's do a quick history on Niccolo di Bernardo di Machiavelli. He was born in 1469 in Florence, Italy. His family was descended from the old rulers of Tuscany. They produced many members that were a part of the government. 
Back then, Italy consisted of many city-states that were ruled by different houses. Florence was among the largest city-states in Europe and was considered one of the wealthiest and most successful. Part of this success is to be attributed to the House of Medici, which was one of the strongest families. The Medici controlled the Medici Bank, the, Europe's largest bank. That says a lot. This allowed them to expand their influence and strategic alliances. In 1494, after a revolt, a very popular one, the Medici were expulsed from power and Florence was restored to a republic. It was then that Machiavelli received his first government role as a person responsible for the production of official Florentine government documents. It's quite critical to understand that those were really dark times in Italy. Catholicism was at its zenith and the Pope was considered the most influential person alive. Powerful families had conflicting interests and were constantly trying to get the church on their side, and any attempt to operate independently and against the will of the Catholic regime was opposed and oftentimes brutally subdued. Sounds really familiar to today's times, right? Like some kind of cabal controlling everything, controlling the narrative, controlling all representation. So Machiavelli was a part of the government that wanted to liberate Florence from the Medici reign. But that was not easy. The Medici had a strong alliance with the Pope, and the recapture of Florence was just, it's, it was a matter of time. So from 1494 to 1512, Machiavelli experienced a series of career reversals. He was appointed in government roles as Secretary of State, a diplomat, military general, and his career was pretty turbulent and ended sadly in 1512 when he deprived when he was deprived of office after the Medici won a critical battle that helped them emerge to power again. 1513, the Medici accused Machiavelli of conspiracy against them and had him imprisoned and tortured. After denying involvement, he was released and decided to retire to his estate at San Andrea in I don't know how to say this, Percusina, in order to devote himself to studying and writing. And that's when he completed his works, The Prince and Discourses, and he gained his reputation as a great political theorist and philosopher. To attempt an objective critique of his views, we need to assess the context of the epoch in which he decided to express his views. So, thoughts experiment. Imagine you're a person who descends from an upper middle class family and you get the chance to play an important role in the governance of a strong republic. You, over, you are overly analytical, strategic, and also pragmatic. You understand the fragility of human nature, and you taste the bitter side of it despite your most courageous attempts to be morally right. You feel weak at the sight of excessive power, and you are tortured for being on the right side of history. You're clearly affected tremendously by all these events, and you want to embrace a more cynical life philosophy. Miles J. Unger, who wrote an interesting book called Machiavelli, a Biography, in 2011, depicts him in a great way. Quote, Disappointed in his hopes, burning with unfulfilled ambition, he wrote a pugnacious work that makes a fetish of strength and oozes contempt for anything that smacks of weakness or vacillation. End quote. I will focus on five important ideas explained in the book. The trick is to deeply fathom the underlying principles of those ideas and open your mind. This is what people can't do nowadays. Is open your mind and disassociate yourself from what you consider immoral or politically incorrect. First, it's better to be feared than to be loved. Machiavelli suggests the human nature is somewhat ungrateful, fickle, and dissembling. The prince or any person in power is like an authority figure that substitutes the parent figure when a person enters adulthood. And these people will always have a huge responsibility. This responsibility creates a form of dependency that urges people craving more. 
and holds the person in power accountable for most of their needs. This interplay damages the most, most of the ability to cultivate self-reliance, and instead of appreciating their leader's offerings, they breed leech-like characteristics, very similar to what's happening in our society today. Therefore, the prince needs to resemble characteristics that don't allow others to question his authority, and that characteristic oftentimes is fear. Although fear creates a dependency between the ruler and the people, it successfully prevents unwanted behaviors stemming from lack of appreciation. The trick here is to ensure that fear doesn't turn into hatred. Two, reputation is everything, but it also demands acting. In chapter 15 of The Prince, Machiavelli states the following, quote, Men have imagined republics and principalities that never really existed at all. Yet the way men live is so far removed from the way they ought to live that anyone who abandons what is for what should be pursues his downfall rather than his preservation. For a man who strives after goodness in all his acts is sure to come to ruin, since there are so many men who are not good, end quote. So he tries to explain that a prince should destroy the delusion that acting good will always favor him, but at the same time create the illusion that he is actually good, because people, they respect goodness. So some people's characteristics will earn praise, and others condemnation. Courage, compassion, faith, craftiness, and generosity number among the qualities that receive praise. Cowardice, cruelty, stubbornness, and miserliness are met with condemnation. Of course, a prince would possess all qualities deemed good, but this expectation is unrealistic. The first the prince's first job is to safeguard the state, and alas, harboring bad characteristics is sometimes necessary for this end. While exhibiting these bad characteristics, he should do so in a way that projects the necessary evil is employed for the good of the people. His reputation depends on how effectively and subtly he communicates this. Three, people are not ready for the truth. We all know this. When it comes to leadership and politics, honesty will only get you so far. People demand actions, but at the same time, they're not ready to act maturely to difficult situations. So in order to understand the impact this dynamic has in this relationship, we need to work with an analogy. So think of a different romantic relationship you had. After the honeymoon phase, reality hits you hard, and most times the parties will let their mask or sanity slip. False expectations, neurotic reactions, unmet needs, and increased familiarity will lead to friction and inability to maintain a stable connection. And familiarity sooner or later will kill respect. Make sure to keep a healthy distance and set boundaries. It's the only way to sustain respect. And that's a quote from Adrian Iliopoulos. That's the author of this article that we're going through. He goes on to say that despite your most courageous attempts to be honest, your partner keeps reacting negatively to news that doesn't suit their liking. Your ability to communicate honest views decreases with time and inevitably you become dishonest in order to avoid conflict. This happens all the time in relationships, doesn't it? The person, you know, doesn't want to wish, uh, abandon his position. So he decides to embrace this dishonesty as the most effective weapon to deal with this lack of conflict. And people will almost always favor a delusional hope to a harsh truth. So ignorance is bliss, right? Number four, loyalty needs to be constantly scrutinized and bought and resistance to be crushed. Chapter six through nine of The Prince, Machiavelli proposes four different ways a prince can rise to power. By virtue, by fortune, by criminal virtue, and by election. 
The overarching theme of this idea is that loyalty needs to be constantly scrutinized and bought and resistance to be crushed. Let's go over these. Loyalty. People that are going to be on the prince's side will do so because they can benefit from him, not because they like him. Overly ambitious people cannot stay loyal for too long because they are thirsty for power too and will eventually try to sabotage those above them. And people who are weak-spirited will always savor their relationship with the prince because it allows them to feel safe and they belong to his tribe. Then resistance. People are naturally resistant to change and reform. Especially people who benefited from the old order, they will resist fiercely. Those need to be crushed on a whim and fast so the prince can focus on reassuring the followers of the strength of the new order and the benefits that will follow. Princes who keep the old order around will inevitably, inevitably need to keep fighting. This is dangerous because he cannot waste his resources on many fronts. That's because it's impossible to satisfy everyone. So he must eliminate distractions and focus on most of his efforts and resources in convincing his followers that his is right when they have second thoughts. Five, success equals fortune plus free will. Chapter 25, Machiavelli tries to conclude his ideas with a main strategy to be followed by countries and individuals in order to increase their chances of success. Free will versus determinism has always been a hot topic among thinkers. And once again, Machiavelli's stance is pragmatic. Success is the point where preparation meets opportunity. People cannot control the world, even a leader, but you, we can definitely control our actions. People can shield themselves against misfortune and self-sabotage through foresight. Because time changes, a prince needs to adapt and embrace malleable characteristics, and impetuosity surpasses caution, and fortune favors the energetic Ruth over cautious age. To close, the prince is suggested in most political science programs around the world and is a must-read, but it's not by accident. It's because these principles have been espoused and applied by the most successful political figures of our past and our present. Knowing and understanding these principles is a cru crucial step forward in redressing the balance between ourselves and eventually within our political system. We all need to have a good understanding of this and we all need to utilize these tools and these skills in our own lives so we can understand the monster that reigns above us and the monster that we could potentially become if we obtain a lot of power. Our Stoic of the Week goes to, of course, Niccolo Machiavelli. He said, it is double pleasure to deceive the deceiver. Never was anything great achieved without danger. And, hence it comes about that all armed prophets have been victorious, and all unarmed prophets have been destroyed. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for joining me.